one of the chapters in the whole in our gospel, we are asked to imagine that we have just learned that 100 jetliners have crashed, killing 26,500 people. Imagine the media frenzy that would take place if that actually happened. Uh, the FBI, the CIA, the National Transportation Safety Board would, would launch investigations. They would give all their attention to that to find out what happened. Nothing else would matter. Everything in the world would just stop and focus on that. Remember the intense media coverage after 9-11 and after the tsunami in Thailand and after uh, Hurricane Katrina? Well, this would just, this would dwarf that. Everything would just stop. Then we're asked to imagine that 100 more jetliners crashed. And then the same thing the next day. And the same thing the next day. And then the same thing the day after that. It's unimaginable. Can't imagine it, can we? Yet, every day, every day in this world, 26,500 children die from preventable causes that have to do with poverty. And it will happen tomorrow, and it will happen the next day, and it will happen the next day. And most media are not reporting on this. Governments aren't doing investigations on this. Few studies going on. Not a lot of resources to stop it. Some, but not all. And one reason is that it's, it's not very personal. It's not very close to us, is it? It's a statistic. It's a number. And when I hear numbers like this, it overwhelms me. I just have a hard time getting my number around it. 26,500 children are going to die today because of things that can largely be prevented, resulting from, as a result of their poverty. Consider the ease that I'm even talking about it. I'm not even emotional about it, am I? But you know what? If I was talking about a child in this congregation who I knew who was dying of leukemia right now, I'll bet I'd be emotional. I bet I would be. Maybe the fact that 10 million children will die this year isn't what you came to hear this morning. Maybe you're disturbed by it. Flannery O'Connor, the writer from the South, she said, you know, the truth does not change according to our ability to stomach it. It's the truth. And one of the reasons we're reading the whole in our gospel is for awareness, to know what's going on. You know, CNN and Fox and other news agencies, they're not telling us about stuff like this. And I hope that MOPC, this church, grows as what I would call a world-savvy congregation a congregation that really knows what's happening in the world, uh, that our values aren't dictated by the government or by the New York Times or by ESPN, but that our values are kingdom of God values, uh, that we will care less and maybe not even know about who wins American Idol, but that we will care and know about places in the world and the needs that they have and what the people there are going through. Uh, in this way, I hope we would become countercultural, different from the culture, the dominant culture that we're in. I hope our ministry to the world, whatever we do here, flows out of 
what God says in his word and our own lives of prayer, our own interaction with him in prayer. You know, Mother Teresa insisted that the ministry and the service that she did amongst the poorest of the poor, who she called Christ in his most distressing disguise, she says it flowed out of her prayer and contemplation of Jesus. And she would never tire of telling the women that she worked with, we are not social workers. But what we do comes out of our contemplation in the heart of the world. We are 24 hours a day with Jesus, she would tell them. We're not social workers. Well, I hear that over 26,000 children will die a day, today alone, and I say, well, what can I do? What difference does it make? It's overwhelming. Why even discuss it? Even just hearing about uh, situations and statistics that are much less than that creates uh, in me sometimes what's called compassion fatigue. You know what that is? Compassion fatigue is, uh, I think it's a relatively new phrase, maybe started in the last 10 years. It's when we hear of so much need, when we hear of so many oppressive things in the world that it just, it just tires us out. We can't, even, we can't even get around it. It just no longer affects us. I might read the newspaper about the tremendous needs that are going on in Pakistan because of all that's happened there, but you know what? I'll feel sorry for a while, maybe, and then I'll turn the page and I'll look for the sports scores and see how my team did because I just, you know, I, what can I do? We're not thinking about the huge issues that are raised in the whole in our gospel to feel more guilty, not to make us more paralyzed than we already are or to feel overwhelmed. We're doing this to find out how to respond. Well, how do you respond to 100 jetliners crashing? Well, the first thing I think we need to keep in mind is that you and I are not called to solve the problem. If I have an issue with the book, it would be that when he says on the cover, I think it says that we can change the world. I don't think so. Make a difference, yes, but I don't think we're going to change the world. In Deuteronomy 15.11, the Lord says this to his people. He says, there will always be poor people in the land. Jesus once said, you will always have the poor with you. God didn't come, when God came to earth in Jesus, he didn't come and solve the political and the economic and the social problems of his day. He came to speak and to show of the kingdom of God that was related to that, but he didn't solve the problems. A few weeks ago, um, Warren Buffett and, and Bill Gates, good friends of mine and billionaires, announced that they were organizing billionaires around the world to give billions of dollars to some of the great needs we have on this globe, hunger and AIDS and uh, clean water in places. But you know, even having billions of dollars cannot solve those problems. Make a huge difference? Absolutely. Solve them? Probably not. And we, we see all the great problems around us, and we know, it, it tells me, you know what, Phil, you're finite. You are so finite. There's so much you can't do, but you know, God is infinite. God is big enough to deal with the world. Probably not going to change it. Definitely not going to solve it. However, however, though we can't change the world, just because we can't do everything doesn't mean we shouldn't do something. 
God never asks us to, to save the world. That's his job. But there's too much. There is way too much in God's word about the poor and about the hungry and the sick and the fatherless and the elderly to not do anything. And you know, though God says in Deuteronomy, you will always have poor people in the land, the very next thing he says is this. Therefore, I command you to be open-handed toward your brothers and sisters and toward the poor and needy in your land. Open-handed. That's different from being tight-fisted. Open-handed is to be giving. It's to be generous. In Jesus' parable to the sheep, of, of the sheep and the goats that we ended the sermon with last week uh, about you know, the sheep on the right, the goats on the left, the ones on the right are praised and enter the kingdom of God not for the amazing things that they did with the, the poor and the thirsty and the hungry and those in prison. They're not praised for solving the problems of the hungry and of the thirsty and of the sick. Jesus praised them for whatever they did. The word is whatever you did. Small, big. Those who are condemned to eternal punishment, those who are on the left are condemned because they did nothing. Not a little bit. They did nothing. We do what we can in the faithfulness and the obedience of God. Jesus once said, if anyone even gives a cup of cold water to one of these little ones who belong to me, I tell you the truth, he will not lose his reward. Now, Jesus is speaking there about receiving those who represent him. But the principle of even a cup of cold water still stands. Even something as small as that counts in God's eyes. I may not be able to handle 26,500, but I can handle one, two, three. It makes a difference. Let's not get stuck with what we can't do. There's a lot we can't do. But what does God ask us to do? What can I do? I heard the parable of the man on the shore and the starfish many, many years ago, and I was glad to be reminded of it as I read through the book. It goes like this. One early morning, after a fierce storm had hit the coast, I strolled to the beach for my morning walk. Horrified, I saw tens of thousands of starfish had been washed up on the beach by the winds and the waves. I was saddened by the realization that all of them would die, stranded on the shore, away from the life-giving water. Despairing that there was nothing I could do, I sat down on the sand and put my head in my hands. And then I heard a sound, and I lifted my eyes. And there, in the distance, I saw a man bending down, standing up, bending down, standing up, bending down, standing up. And curious, I rose and I started to walk toward him. I saw that he was picking up the starfish, one at a time, throwing it back into the ocean. What are you doing, I yelled. Saving the starfish, he replied. But don't you see, man, there are tens of thousands of them, I asked, incredulous. Nothing you can do will make a difference. He didn't answer me, but he bent down, picked up another starfish, cast it into the water, and he smiled, and he looked me in the eye, and he said, it made a difference to that one. 
aren't called to save 26,500 children. But you know, if every person who calls themselves a Christian, let alone in the world, just in this nation alone, if every person who says, I'm a Christian, did care for just one, what difference would it make? We have some starfish throwers in this church. You know that? We have some starfish throwers in this church. I know that some of you sponsor a child through organizations like Compassion International or World Vision or other Christian-based organizations that match you up with a child and you send money every month to make sure that child has some food and education. Some of you regularly provide food for hungry people. You go to work at the Salvation Army and feed them, or you go to the food bank like we're doing next Saturday. You're star throwers, starfish throwers. Many of you know that every Sunday night, the Chin Christian Church meets here in this building. The Chin people are one of a major ethnic group in Burma, also called Myanmar, refugees in this country, and one of the most persecuted people by the military government there. They come needing to learn English, they come needing to learn computer skills. They come uh, needing to know how to use modern appliances that we take for granted and conveniences. Some of them don't want to go to the hair salon when they first get here because they're so scared. There's just a lot of fear oftentimes about being in a new place. Well, we have a group of people in this church. I don't even know everyone who it is who give themselves every week to meet children in that Burmese refugees group and tutor them in their studies, who, who help people learn English and meet with them to talk and to teach them English, who help them study to get a driver's license and even drive them to the DMV to make sure that they pass the test and they can get there. People in this church are trying to help these Burmese refugees one at a time. They aren't solving the problems of Burma. They aren't even solving the problems of immigration in Salt Lake City. They're just making a difference for those they can. And they're doing it because of Christ. They're throwing starfish. How can we respond? How about if we give from what God has given us? Let's be aware of the resources that God has given us for, for His glory. And usually that involves not accumulating more than we really need, but offering some of our plenty to those who are in need. We read in Jeremiah 22, where the Lord speaks against Shalom, the, the son of King Josiah. Shalom built a palace for himself that was just incredible. And he, he used unpaid labor, he used slave labor to fuel his opulence in this palace that was just, it was just amazing. And he used cedar, as much cedar as he could. Now, cedar was one of the most expensive, um, priceless resources of that day. And he used more and more cedar in that great palace that he built. And the Lord asks him, does it make you a king to have more and more cedar? More and more? We might ask ourselves, does it make me who I am to have more and more? How much does a person need? How much house does a person need? How many houses do a person need? How much car? How much money? How many clothes and, and what kind of clothes? How many vacations and time away do you need? More and more? More and more? 
Then the Lord goes on to praise his father, King Josiah, who had everything that he needed, but he did what was just and he was right, and he defended the cause of the poor and the needy. And then the Lord says, is that not what it means to know me? You know, we talk about having a, knowing the Lord and having a personal saving relationship with him. The Lord says, if you care about the poor and the needy, then you know me because you know my heart. You know the things I care about. You know the things that are part of my character. That's what it is to know me, he says. Contrast that with Jesus on the Sermon on the Mount who says about people who will say to him, Lord, Lord, as if they know him, but they do not do his will. And Jesus will cast them away from his presence and say, I never knew you. I never knew you. So we can ask ourselves, what what have I been given? What do I have that I can use to help others? And in 2 Corinthians 8, Paul encourages the Corinthians to supply out of their plenty for the needs of others. Same thing that John the Baptist preached when he was bringing in the time of Jesus, when he was preparing the way. John the Baptist said, you know, if you have two two cloaks, two coats, and someone doesn't have one, give one of your two to that person. He said, if you have food and you see someone who doesn't have food, give some of your food to someone who's hungry. That's what he preached. It's the same message. And then Paul quotes from the Exodus story. He says, he who gathered much didn't have too much. The one who gathered little didn't have too little. That verse is from when God provides manna in the desert for the children of Israel while they're in the wilderness. And God provided for the people all that they needed and they had plenty to go around. And you know, God can supply our need. And he will supply plenty so that we can be open-handed. Isn't that what it means to know the Lord? Your plenty, Paul writes, will supply their need. Perhaps your plenty is money. Maybe you're able to be generous with your finances to people who, or organizations who are meeting real needs. Maybe that's your plenty. Or, maybe your plenty is time. You are at a place in your life, a situation in your life, where you just have a lot of time. Time to come alongside people. Time to um, serve others. God has given it to you, and you can use it. Or maybe your plenty is knowledge or skills. You teach English. You know how to teach English. You have medical skills that can be tremendously helpful in parts of the world that don't have very many medical resources. Or maybe you uh, know how to raise funds. Or maybe you know how to find resources for people. Or maybe you know how to build stuff. Maybe you know how to shop. I mean, like go to the grocery store and shop. Or maybe you know how to transport somebody. You can get them to where they need to be. Or maybe your plenty is shelter. You have space and an extra room in your home or a place you could rent or allow someone in need to use. Or maybe your plenty is yourself, your presence. And sitting by the bedside or going to visit a person in prison or in a nursing home or to travel to another country maybe for a time and just be with and hold children who don't have any parents who are desperate for just someone to touch and interact with them is something you can do. 
You know, God's compassion, justice, and healing are needed in many places. What has God given me? What has God given you that allows us to personally respond? After a massive earthquake in India in 2001, Richard Stearns tells the story of going to that country. And one day he was confronted by a woman who thrust her small boy in front of him as he was sitting in a car. The boy had no feet. And it was as if the woman was asking him to do something for her son. His legs had been amputated below the knee. And then this car that Stearns was in just rushed away, and that was it, and he left the country. And like that, they were gone. Well, for several days, Richard Stearns just couldn't get the image of that mother and her boy out of his mind, and he rationalized. Well, you know, I'm not expected to save every child, and it's not really my responsibility. But that burden continued to weigh on him. Brothers and sisters, let me tell you, if God puts a burden on your heart and it's not going away, he's trying to get your attention. I've learned that. So Richard Stearns writes, one night at dinner, I told my own kids about what I had seen and how it was troubling me. Can't you do something, Dad? They asked. That very night, I sent an email to our team in India describing the boy and asking if they could find him. One child in the midst of a billion people. I didn't know his name. I could not remember even the name of the village where I'd seen him. But two weeks later, I received an email with a photo of six-year-old Vikas and the story of what had happened to him. During the earthquake, his house had collapsed on him, crushing both of his legs and injuring his mother. With no immediate medical care, by the time help finally arrived, days later, amputation was his only option. To save his life, a relief medical team from Korea amputated both of his legs. Unable to walk, Vikas now could only crawl on all fours or be carried everywhere by his mother or father. So when I arrived in his village that day, a desperate mother waited for her moment and rushed to my departing car, hoping against all hope that maybe this man from America could help. Believing that he could help, isn't that what grieving parents did when Jesus passed through their village like the father who approached Jesus, knelt before him and said, Lord, have mercy on my son. I asked our team back in India whether we could help him, and the answer came back that he would need another surgery and then prosthetic limbs. It would cost $300 with the U.S. office authorize the expenditure, they asked. No, I replied. World Vision would not pay for this. Rich Stearns will pay for this. You see, he writes, this was personal. Arguably, in my role at World Vision, I was already doing more than most people can do to help children in need. But God wanted more than my institutional programs and strategic responses. He wanted it to be as personal for me as it is always personal for him. Children are not statistics to God. And so I sent the money. One man's story of just helping one child. Yes, the needs are overwhelming. Can't do everything, but we can do something. And we are asked by God to respond personally. Each one of us, even just for one.
and do it in the name of Christ. Would you stand with me as we pray? Because my guess is many of us need to know how to respond or we need God's strength to respond. Lord, we are so small in a world that is so big. And even, Lord, if we had a billion dollars, ten billion dollars, we couldn't change the world. But we're your people and we believe that you want us to respond with compassion just as we can. So, Lord, we pray that you would, first of all, open our hearts and open our hands. And, Lord, we pray then that you would show us our plenty so that we can supply what others need wherever we are confronted by you to do that. And then, Lord, we ask that you would strengthen us to serve. And then we ask you would teach us to be not consumed with more and more. Lead us to be people. Lead us to the places where we can be generous, where we can give and love for Jesus. And give us the patience and give us the perspective and give us the trust to help just one person, one at a time, Lord. You're a mighty God. You can do far more than we can. We trust you. Just help us to be part of what you're doing. Amen.